The first reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning to read at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of reaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Indeed, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from St. John. It is John 15 beginning to read at verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and buried. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, 
that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, we're set. Um, as we begin, can I just say thank you for your love and prayers over this last week, uh, early last Monday morning, our time, my father passed away in Australia. So I've uh, taken this week uh, to go to our hometown in Suffolk, where I was born, and, uh, and do some time, do some things there that were very, very helpful and full of God's grace. And uh, in a few weeks' time, probably towards the end of July, uh, Jill and I will be heading back to Australia for a couple of weeks. And... Uh, and we'll spend time with the family then. So thank you. Uh, also means I've been a little bit um, uh, not here, and uh, I may run away reasonably quickly after the APCM. Uh, my energy levels are pretty low. But thank you for your love and prayers, and I really do appreciate it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for making it a light for our path, food for our soul. Thank you, Lord, that you are the true vine in which we abide and from whom we draw all our identity and value and purpose and joy as you delight in us and we delight in you and reflect your holy name. Amen and amen. Well, as uh, Amy mentioned, today is the day of our annual meeting. And as we do each year, uh, we're going to be uh, receiving reports, electing office holders and PCC members, you still have time to discern a call to being a church warden, and uh, let me encourage you to do that in the next half an hour, and, uh, and, uh, and we're doing all those sorts of things. I won't go into the detail of it here, because that's what the meeting is for, uh, but uh, we, we all know that this year it's slightly different, because we are uh, discerning this pathway forwards in terms of how we provide leadership in the parish. And uh, we're looking at things like focal ministry, and that will be uh, towards the top of the priorities of the new PCC to consider. It also means that we have spent these last few weeks uh, looking at uh, things like giftedness and leadership and discernment, and they're the sorts of topics we've been looking at. And today we get to Ephesians chapter 4, which is something of a go-to passage uh, when it comes to seminars on Christian leadership. In this passage, it's one of the things we see is Paul's famous five-fold shape to uh, his consideration of certain types of leadership. And so he speaks of apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. And much has been written about these things, especially if your name is Alan Hirsch. Um, if you know that name, there's, it becomes, it's one of the, uh, the standard means of Christian leadership is fivefold ministry. And uh, if you are aware of the infamous life shapes, uh, this is the pentagon uh, of the fivefold uh, giftedness. And of course, if you're thinking in, about leadership, it's not an unhelpful thing to think about. 
uh, those, those five words actually are quite useful as a way of exploring what it means uh, to embrace and to pursue uh, God's call to leadership. And so in the, a few weeks ago, we looked at how Paul considered his apostolic gifting in 1 Corinthians 4 in the sense of a parental laying down of self and of having, living an ambassadorial life. And we can appreciate in our midst the ministry of prophetic people who have the gift and capacity to exhort us to live in lives of worship in spirit and truth. And they are very good at calling us back to our values. And we are also aware of the gift of what it means to have pastoral people in our midst who remind us about the least, the last and the lost and point out to us those who are often overlooked. And we are aware of the evangelists in our midst who have the zeal and the passion to see the gospel extend beyond ourselves so that we're not just self-referential looking at our own navels. And of course we are aware of the teachers in our midst who draw us to the truth of God's kingdom and help us to grasp it for ourselves. All these things are good. All these things are about helping us as God's people. And if nothing else, this picture of a five-fold shape of leadership reminds us that leadership under God's providence is always and almost invariably collegial. It's shared. Different people bring different gifts and that full colour of things makes for a balanced and healthy form of leadership. And we saw this when we looked at 1 Corinthians 12 with that sense of God's body being made up of a diversity of members in a unity focused on Jesus. And to be sure, as I look ahead to whatever we choose to do as God's people in the leadership we provide and exercise, as I imagine perhaps a focal ministry team, I do imagine a team of people bringing different perspectives, different passions, different skills, different ways of seeing uh, what it means to lead God's people. And I imagine praying together, discerning together, and contemplating together how the Lord is leading us. I imagine a shared form of leadership. And so we can see this five-fold picture here in this passage, and it's informs the conversation that we're having. But there's actually a deeper thread that I want to tug on in Paul's uh, uh, passage, the passage from Ephesians today. And it's that not so much about the shape of leadership, but about the point of it. It gets to our sense of purpose and calling. And Paul talks about these things. And I like the word calling. It's language that only really Christians and other spiritual people use. Others might talk about purpose. But calling has a dynamic sense to it. A sense of being drawn or compelled in a good way. When I rack my brains for a good illustration, the only thing I can come up with is the movie Frozen 2. Who knows Frozen 2? Ah, 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 ah. It, it draws, doesn't it? It's like, 
It, it's something, I've got to go that way. Into the unknown. Some people are really blanked out right now. <laughs> but that's, it's not just some sort of you know, mission statement with dot points, although it can turn into that. There's a sense of compulsion, a sense of urgency, a sense of moving that way, of passion and purpose, of pursuits. And that undergirds and that expresses a lot of what our vocation is about. It means that our ministry is not just a collection of tasks to do, it's a real expression of who we are and what we're about, the things that God longs for us to be. There's, there's passion and purpose in it. And so when Paul starts talking about leadership in this passage, he begins right at the beginning to urge the church collectively to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. To live a life worthy of that, of that drawing towards the things of God. And in some ways that frames the question. The point of leadership in a church context isn't just about getting things done, although it is that. That's more management. We need good management. And it isn't just about keeping us all happy. It's about helping us to be true to how the Lord is leading us, guiding us, drawing us together, calling us. And as Paul unfolds his urging here, we get a sense of the character of that. That leadership, that calling, is marked by being humble and gentle, patient and bearing one another in love. It's marked by unity and being at peace with one another, we are not some fragmented collection of individuals buzzing around and only sitting in this room by sheer accident. No, we're called, called as one body, indwelt by one spirit and with one hope motivating us and compelling us forward. And what that leads to is a reflection in our very selves, that sense of us here, of the truth about who God is. He isn't fragmented or chaotic or purposeless or nebulous or fickle. No, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is through all and in all. And so in our calling, in our very being, there's a unity of a heart and mind and purpose that reflects and shows the very character of God. It's a similar we see in John. We are branches of the one vine, and as we abide in that unity, there's a sense in which we well up where the life flows from it. We reflect in ourselves as we pursue that calling, that sense of who God is, his very character and nature. And that's something that's very quick to say. But think about it, and as we think about what that means, what we do and who we are is a reflection of God himself. And in many ways that becomes both an awesome thing to think about and an awful responsibility to contemplate. Imagine for yourself, perhaps, if it was externally obvious to people that you are a Christian. I had a lecturer at Bible College try and make this point once. He said, for instance, he said, you couldn't 
you couldn't know by looking at me that I'm a Baptist minister, he said. I put my hand up and said, Andrew, you are wearing a brown suit. And he threw the chalk at me. But no one can obviously look at us and go, you're a Christian. But perhaps, imagine that they could. Imagine there was this big neon sign pointing at your head as you walked down the street going, Christian. How would that change how you operated? Because now, what you did and the values you held and how you expressed them wouldn't just remark about yourself. It would remark about the one whose name you are carrying. Your conduct, your sense of purpose and position and posture would change. Now, can I tell you, I'm not the sort of vicar who often wears the piece of plastic around my neck during the week. But I have this little neon sign occasionally when I walk down the street. And it's weird. When I was a curate once, I I went and bought lunch. And I happened for my lunch to buy a bottle of ginger beer. And in Australia, the bottle they come in looks remarkably like the bottle that the other sort of beer might come in. But I thought nothing of this salad roll and a ginger beer, and I started walking down the street with my ginger beer in my hand, accidentally with the label covered and my collar on, taking a swig as I went. And I got looks. And it wasn't because, oh, here's this bloke having a, enjoying a drink. It was like, there's this minister of the gospel <laughs> drinking beer on the street. My point being is that What that showed wasn't just reflecting on me. It was reflecting. They were were interpreting something from that conduct that spoke about who God was. And we know what that's like. In recent days and weeks, we've had a number of stories and scandals of leaders falling or church toxicity being uh, come come into 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 the public domain. And when we see it, we're rightly offended and disturbed by that. And if we're honest, the impact of it is not just the wounds of hypocrisy. It actually shakes something of our confidence in the gospel we have heard. If the God that they spoke of, is that, was that real what they said? What can I believe? And it shakes our foundations and we have to find this dissection between the conduct of God's people and the truth of who God is. It can actually sometimes be a useful lesson, but that's actually what shakes us. But what it reveals to us is the importance of that alignment. Be true to the calling to which you have been given. It's a daunting thing, but it's not new. Throughout the ages, from Adam and Eve, through Abraham, Moses, David, Jesus, to us, that covenant call on God's people has always been, represent me, point people to me, draw people to me, reflect me, be the people who point the way to the kingdom of God, be the embodied gospel, be the ambassadors of the Lord, Don't diminish the integrity of my name by which I have called you. 
No wonder then that Paul lays this foundation of integrity, worthiness to calling, before he goes on to speak about the shape of leadership in the fivefold ministry. And no wonder then he gives us its reason to exist. Christ himself, he says, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. Why? To equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Because when we do that, we will reflect the worthiness of our calling. In management circles, when we talk about leadership, we often talk about goals, key point indicators, other measures of success, and the jargon changes every other year. And church culture has often imported those ideas. And so when we think about successful leadership in church, we think about things like growth. And we talk about churches that have gone from small to big, or who are passive and now more active. We talk about achievements and attainments. But that's not how Paul talks about it. First and foremost, he talks about the goal of leadership as maturity. And when he talks about maturity, he talks about closeness to Christ, abiding in the vine, in John's words, being deeper in knowledge, deeper in trust of Jesus who leads us. And when he thinks about the effectiveness of that maturity, he doesn't quickly go to souls won and goals achieved. Rather, it's in terms of being a mature body who speaks the truth in love, who is able to discern the winds and waves of worldly scheming that would wash us backwards and forwards by various fads and the latest shallow thinking of the moment. He recognises that it's infants who are gullible and who simply reflect and copy and mimic the world around them. That's their job. That's what they do. But Paul's intent to see the church become a mature body with a maturity that is defined by and centred on Christ and nothing else. And it's this task of equipping leadership, a leadership that equips, that is the key aspect of the sort of leadership that we are trying to discern for our own church here. And so it's why the process for choosing um, focal ministry or discerning the journey we have isn't just about electing another committee, but praying, discerning, talking, discussing about how we can be best equipped within our community with a diversity of leadership styles, to be more like Jesus. And it's why if we choose the road of focal ministry, our focal ministers won't just be those that PCC nominates, although the PCC is involved, rather the wider church, including representatives of the bishop and the diocese, will share in that discernment so that the focal ministers in our midst, equippers of us, will themselves be encouraged and trained and equipped. And so that together we are drawn towards the one thing, the one person, the one Lord, with one trust, through one baptism to Jesus himself, 
And when we are more like him, we are, by definition, more mature, more grown, more reflective, and more in tune with the calling that he has placed on us. True leadership, you see, begins not in skills or experience. It begins in that focus on Christ. It begins in worship. True mission rests not on activity, but on worship. True ministry rests not on closeness with each other, but on worship, devotion, love, care, and honour of Jesus. And so when we think about focal ministers, they, we are looking towards those who are first and foremost worshippers in our midst. Ones who can live a life worthy of the calling we have received. And whatever new structure we choose, that's where we will begin. A community that worships, enamoured by Jesus, and everything else flows from there. The beauty is, is that that is not absent from us. We have worship in our midst. And in our APCM, we will be seeing how that has been a mark of the year that has been. But I do long for more of it as we look ahead, that we might be equipped in worship, growing in maturity, worthy of our calling. Amen. And so, Lord, we thank you for who you are, how you call us, that by your providence you have put us in this room to be your people, to be your body. Lord, lead us onwards, we pray, as we delight in you. Amen.